Southall as we move into the last minutes. Adlet wins it. Down to McDonald's. Not sure that Tony Cotty's had a touch yet. He might get one now! It's incredible! A goal after 34 seconds. It is a quality cross, and Tony Cotty gets his hat trick. Three for Tony Cotty that seal the points for Everton. Cotty, can he get it back here? Tony Cotty! Tony Cotty still, still Cotty! The persistence pays off. Hello and welcome to Across the Park Extra. Myself, Ian Mills and Andrew Price. We are delighted to be joined by an Everton legend. It's an Everton FC special and it's someone that when the name and numbers first were a thing in 1993, I was right down the Everton shop and Cotty 9 was on the back of my home shirt. It is, of course, the man, Mr Tony Cotty. Tony, thank you for joining us on Across the Park. How are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm doing doing well, thanks, guys. Yeah, it's a pleasure to join you. And um, you know, Everton is always a club close to my heart, so it's nice to uh, you know, have a chat with a, a couple of real fans and talk about the good old days. I'm, I'm guessing, but we can talk about the current team as well because they're doing all right, aren't they? Which I'm really pleased about. Yeah, I, I think we'll cover both the good days and the bad days, but but we'll get to it. Let's start with the good days. You signing for Everton in 1988. Sorry. £2.2 million was a record fee at the time. Mr Colin Harvey, who was a previous guest on this show, brought you to Everton. Uh, I think Arsenal were in for you as well. And you being a London lad, um, was there a temptation to stay in London or was it always Everton for you? Um, do you know what, Ian? I mean, it's, it's obviously a question I've been asked many times before. I mean, the Arsenal fans are relentless, giving me stick about, should have signed for Arsenal, you'd have won this, you'd have won that. And I've come back to him straight away. So, listen, if I'd have signed for Arsenal, you never would have had Ian Wright because Arsenal signed Ian Wright because they didn't get me. So, when I say that to the Arsenal fans, it normally shuts them up a little bit, which is great. <laughs> um, but, you know, listen, going back, I mean, you know, the, uh, I think the rumours sort of about Everton and Arsenal started sort of surfacing about a year before the actual transfer. And they was really the two, although I was linked with many clubs, they, they was the two clubs that was always constantly linked with me. So... Um, you know, when the decision came round, it yeah, it was a tough decision because you know, like, listen, everyone knows I'm not. I, listen, one thing you'll get at me today, boys, is honesty. I'm, I'm a London boy, um, yeah. and the easy thing for me to do would have been to sign for a London club because yeah. obviously you don't move out, you just you know you drive a little bit further to work and you play for another London team. But when when it came to it, the you know there was many factors that were were a part of that transfer and. You know, I, I, I wanted to feel wanted by the new manager. Obviously, Colin Harvey was Everton manager and George Graham was the Arsenal manager. And I felt a lot more warmth from Colin, to be honest with you. Um, financially, I, you know, I had come through the academy at West Ham and, you know, I wasn't on what the, the other players were earning. So I wanted to obviously increase my wages. Everton's offer was far superior to Arsenal. Um, and the bottom line really was where I sort of fitted into the team and what the manager wanted from me. So... When I spoke to George Graham, he was he was talking about me chasing fullbacks and wearing Arsenal club blazers and things like that. And I, I thought, well, I'm, I'm not really interested in that, you know. And then when I spoke to Colin, Colin, I never forget it. He said, I want you to come to this club and score me 25 goals a season. And that's exactly what he said to me. And I thought, yeah. you know, and it, everything, everything Everton did, you know, Sir Philip Carter was fantastic in terms of negotiating. Everything Everton did ticked all the boxes. 
And unfortunately for Arsenal, I think they just felt because I was a London boy, I'm going to sign for Arsenal. And it, yeah. you know, it was never as simple as that. But you know, I don't look back with any regret. I think you make a decision at the time, and it was the correct decision in 1988. And I still look back now and say it's the correct decision now. Yeah. And then on your on your home debut, of course, you, you scored a hat trick against Newcastle in a four four nil win. Players like Stuart McCall, Pat Nevin uh, were at the club at the time. Just interested to know what, you, what your first impressions were of the, of the Goodison faithful, how, you, how that game went, how you felt. Yeah, I took a little while to get going, Andrew, really, didn't I? 34 seconds. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Before the first goal went in. But it was a fantastic day, obviously, for me and my family. And I, 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 think, I, I think it was 35 tickets I needed for the game, just for me, yeah. to get all my family and friends that had come up from London, whatever, you know. So it was a big, big day for me. But I, I was staying, um, I don't know why, but the club put me in the Bold Hotel in Southport. And, um, you know, for, for the actual game, I, 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 I didn't actually know where Goodison was. I've got to be honest. I knew where the training ground was because I've been going to the training ground. Yeah. But we'd only been to Goodison for the team photo. So I hadn't really taken too much notice about how to get to the, to the ground. So, of course, when my debut comes around, like, unfortunately for me, Neil McDonald was staying at the same hotel, the Bold. And Mako said to me, he said, well, look, I know how to get there. I went, oh, brilliant, I'll follow you in. So I'm going to make me debut and I'm driving in on a Saturday morning, not really knowing where I'm going. So it was, it's, it's all sort of quite funny and surreal, really. But, I mean, the, the game itself, um, I think if you, if, you could, if, if, if you could have sat me down before the game and said, like, what would be your dream debut? That was my dream debut. Um, you know, to, to, with all the pressure, you know, Ian spoke about, you know, the fee and everything because it was a record transfer fee. There was so much build up in the papers. I mean, obviously, it was different in those days. You didn't have Sky Sports and Talk Sport and all that sort of stuff. Everything was newspaper based. And it was just relentless in the papers about how I was cost all this money and I should be doing this, should be doing that. And there was a lot of pressure on me. Yeah. But to go out, to score the first goal, get a hat trick, win 4 0. And then after the game, we just went and celebrated with all my family and friends. It was just a really, really special day that I look back on, you know. And I think a lot of the fans enjoyed it as well, you know, because the fans were expecting as well. You know, they yeah. whoever went to that game turned up thinking Everton have paid a lot of money for this yeah. guy. You know, what's he like? Is he going to do any good? And I think, you know, the fans, or every every fan I, spoke, I speak to that was actually at the game that day, they all say, oh, what a great debut and what a great day. And, couple of them moaned about missing the first goal because they didn't get until three minutes <laughs> after. Yeah, typical Evertonians, isn't it? Getting <laughs> in just after their cars or whatever. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But it, no, it was a really, really special day. But of course, what it did do, it just put a lot of pressure on me. And, you know, everyone thought, oh, well, he's going to get hat-trick every week. And, you know, but, you know, I, I felt that I'd, obviously I'd scored three goals and I'm thinking, well, Collie wants me to get 25. I'm now going to go on and get my 25 goals. And if only life was as easy as that, of course. Yeah. And it was around that time, I think, what Colin tried to do was was break up the the eighties team and bring in new fresh blood. Obviously, yourself and a couple of others came in. What was that like when you came in? Was 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 that feeling that you were you know he was trying to break up the old guards and trying to bring in his own ideas and his own players in? And was there a bit of friction between the old players there, or, or was it smooth? Yeah, listen. As I said, I'll be honest with the interview. Yeah, of course. I think yeah. at times it was a little bit strained. Um, and listen, I, obviously, I. I I had the view from the young players. I was a young player. I was only, I think I just turned 23 when I arrived at the club. It's, you know, still so young, really. Yeah. Um, so I, I saw it, what, how it was from the new players' point of view. Um, but also, I, I, you know, looking back, you can understand the old players, you know, like, you know, players like Graham Sharp and, 
Neville Southall, Kevin Ratcliffe, Kevin Sheedy, and they, you know, Dave Watson, all these fantastic players that have won the league in some of them have won the league in '85 and '87. Yeah, um, won the cup, cup winners' cup as well. You know, and they they they've done so much for the football club. And then, as I said about the newspapers, they're reading in the newspapers, and you know, the, the Sun and all the other papers are like they're exaggerating. And I'm reading, I'm looking at the papers myself, and I'm thinking, if only I was on what you're saying, I'm on. That would have been, yeah. I'd, I'd love to be on what you're telling me that I'm on in terms of wages. Yeah, and uh, so you know the the older players would have read and seen what sort of money I was on, and then they're probably thinking, "Well, I'm going to say this new guy comes in. I've done all the hard work. Why, why should he yeah. get all the financial rewards?" So I don't think that really helped things, and and also as well when you know when they had such a special team, and you know it was a you know that era, the '84 to '87 era, was a fantastic era for the club, as we yeah. all know, and. You know, they probably were thinking, well, you know, perhaps we didn't need to break up the team so early. And, and you had players like Wayne Clark and Adrian Heath, who, you know, played a big part in, in the eight, certainly in the 87 season. And of course, I come in, as soon as I arrive, those two players are not going to play. And, you know, they're friends with the older players. And, you know, there was, there's a lot that goes into getting a good team spirit at a football club. And it's one of the hardest things to do. And it's, it's no different now than what it was back in, in 88. You you have to get the team spirit right. You know, you can talk about the current team at, at Everton and in 2021, but if the team spirit's not right, you're not going to win anything or go anywhere. There was just, there was lots of issues going on. And of course, we was all trying to prove ourselves as young players and they was, they was looking at us and judging at us. Uh, you know, it, it was difficult at times and there was, you know, there was bits of friction on and off the field, but, I, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't know any different because I just obviously come from West Ham, where everyone got on. We was all fine and everything. And then I come to Everton, and it was all a bit all over the place. But you know, we 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 got to deal with it. I think. But it, all of which, if you add all that ingredients about the team spirit, and you look back and look at some of the players we had, especially I would say from '88 to maybe '91. We had some fantastic players at that football club and we should have done a lot better. We should have been winning trophies and we should have been finishing higher in the league. But as I said, if you don't get the team spirit right, yeah. it doesn't things. Yeah, well, that, that first season, totally, that's really interesting here hearing you to say that because we had Kevin Ratcliffe on and he sort of said similar, that it, there was no animosity. It wasn't meant, but there was just a, a natural yeah. divide somehow. But that season, we got to Wembley twice on, under very different circumstances. Firstly, let's concentrate on the, the Zenith Data Systems Cup. Now, we've got listeners out there who are saying, what did he just say? What's that? What yeah. is that? <laughs> and and the, the reason I say that is, were you like that as a player or the team or was that a trophy that you took seriously? Well, I think, um, like with any competition, I think the probably the modern day equivalent of that, what you're talking about now, is probably the League Cup, yeah. you know, because you've got obviously Champions League, Premier League, FA Cup, and then League Cup is number four on the list. Yeah. And in those days, you know, there was no Europe. We, we was banned from playing in Europe because of what had gone on at High School. So there was no mm-hmm. European football. So it was really, it was the order was FA Cup, then it was winning the league, and then you had League Cup, and then the fourth position was this Senate Data Systems Cup that came yeah. along. and. I think that was invented just to replace the European football or the lack mm. of European football. So I, I think it's fair to say at the start of the competition, especially, I, you know, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm guessing the crowds were really poor, you yeah, know, yeah, where, yeah. wherever we played. And and it's one of them that until you get to a semi-final, you're not really bothered about anything, are you? So, uh, you know, you get to a final and then you start thinking, well, this is good. And of course, for me, it was my first sort of opportunity to play in a, as, a, you know, I played for England, but not as a, 
as a club player, I hadn't played at Wembley before because West Ham, we were never good enough to get to Wembley. So, um, you know, to play against Forest, I, you know, I know we lost the game, but for me, I, I was really pleased. I scored my two goals and yeah. I, I'm then starting to think, you know, like look forward to the FA Cup final and hopefully do the same in the FA Cup final. Yeah. yeah. So, so the follow-up to that really is the FA Cup final. So if someone looks at that on paper now and it's Everton versus Liverpool in an FA Cup final that looks romantic it looks glamorous but the circumstances sadly weren't, weren't really about that now again going back to we had Ian Snowden and Colin Harvey on the show they said it was almost an impossible task for Everton to win that trophy the, the country and the Wales were behind Liverpool if you will because of the Hillsborough disaster um, take your mind back to that period did you feel that because um, you were in the city at the time during that tragedy did you feel it was an impossible situation for Everton to be in yeah, I agree with the boys. You know, I think um, on the day, you know, every, everyone wanted Liverpool to win for obvious reasons. And if we'd have won, they would have gone, oh, yeah, but you only won because Liverpool weren't concentrating. So, you know, I, I think it, it just was what it was. But, you know, I, I, I look back on it and obviously all the emotions of the semi-final, you know, because you know, people forget we was playing in the other semi-final. You know, obviously, Hillsborough was the main thing that happened. But... You know, all my family and friends, you know, they was at Villa Park. And yeah. I'm, you know, I'm looking at you two boys trying to see how old or how young you are. I'm not sure if you remember the terrace days or not. I, I don't know, yeah. maybe you're the line. For, you yeah, probably... first couple of seasons with terraces for me, yeah, yeah with my dad, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you, I mean, you can remember in. the terraces were quite a scary place, weren't they? Yeah. Weren't they? And, you know, there was a lot of overcrowding in at many of the games. And, mm. you know, I, I think that... You, you look back and you think, well, Villa Park, you know, that could have involved some of my family, some of my friends, and it could easily be Villa Park and not Hillsborough. So, you know, it was it was a it was a, a you know an awful tragedy what happened. And but what it did do, it, it united the the two clubs, it united the city. And you know, I've got to say the way the people of Merseyside, you know, dealt with what had gone on was was unbelievable. Will stay with me forevermore. And um, you know, listen, I, I played for Everton, so my my love of Liverpool. Football club, when you when you sort of talk about, I mean, you know, always like no Everton, I'm not interested yeah. in. Well, you know where I'm coming from. Yeah, when of I course, of course. But you know that was a human tragedy. It wasn't a football hate or love as such. It was a human tragedy, and I think it affected a lot of people on, on Merseyside. And you know, it was it was just fitting really that the two clubs got to the final. And then, of course, on the day it was a it was a good game of football. Really, really was a good game. And but I let myself down because I didn't play very well. <clears throat> you know, you look back and you think, what could I have done differently? I, I, I would say probably going to sleep before four o'clock in the morning probably would have helped. I, I was genuinely so excited to play in a cup yeah. final. Never, ever playing an FA Cup final. Yeah. I didn't take sleeping tablets. So I was just laying there like wide awake. And of course, you know, people say, well, what difference does that make? But if you don't get the sleeping and, you know, recharge the batteries and the energy, and then it was about 95 degrees on the day as well. It was boiling hot. And uh, I just had a really poor game, really poor game. I, you know, I, I loved the occasion. Obviously, I was gutted that we lost the game. But, you know, I was proud to have played in my one and only FA Cup final. I'm really proud to say that. But, you know, I just wish it could have been under different circumstances and I could have I could have done better, really, I think, as an individual, you know. I mean, there were some great personal performances, Stuart McCall scoring the two goals, yeah, and there were yeah. some other good, good performances by our team. But, um, you know, it was a real disappointment to lose. Okay, and so then the following season we finished sixth in the league, which obviously wasn't as as high as what we we'd be been previously in the eighties. Uh, a couple of new signings came in, Martin Keown being being one of them. Um, I think it's quite famous how 
Colin Harvey used to try and get the, we mentioned before the team spirit. I think he was trying to get the team spirit then, you know, Chinese meals going out for beers and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, the famous story that Mark Ward told us, um, where I think he set Barry, Barry Horn's fancy dress costume on fire one time. Bit of a bust up between Keown and, and Cheesy. I'm just wondering anything, anything from those times, any of those bonding sessions that stick out. And you know, we mentioned before it wasn't quite working and gelling together. Do you think those bonding sessions helped in, in trying to get the team spirit together? Well, I think they, I think they did to a degree. Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, look, like looking back previously in my West Ham days, like we had Christmas parties because everyone had a Christmas party back then. That was, and that was really the the sort of going out side of things, really. I mean, because I, I think I suppose when you're in London, there's a lot of people coming from all different places and travelling maybe a bit more. But of course, on Merseyside, when you play for one of the one of the two teams, you you're very on top of each other and. You know, um, Colin was very, you know, he he was very encouraging about doing the the Chinese and everything when I first arrived at the club. But of course, when Colin got sacked and then Howard took over, I think Howard was even more for going out and getting the team spirit together. And uh, yeah, I mean, listen, there's lots of things that went on and you look back and I, you know, I actually missed the the Martin Keown and Kevin Sheedy incident. I missed it because we, um, we ended up... Um, I think there was a pub in Southport we ended up drinking in. And uh, I, listen, I've got to be honest, in those days, I wasn't a particularly good drinker. So I, I, I sort of went, you know, I knew when I'd had enough, sorry, boys, I'm off for going home type of thing. And I went home and then it, it kicked off and I, I didn't know anything about it. And then obviously when the boys, because I used to travel with the younger ones, so there was, um, there was Stewie Mack, Martin Keown, uh, Peter Beagree was in Formby and Neil McDonald. So we, we all sort of commuted in together and then in the morning when they picked me up, they went, oh, Martin had a row with, with Sheeds and and then it all went from there and then it was in the papers and, you know, it was it was just a bit unfortunate really, but, you know, you know what it's like when, when people have had drink, it, it's not a good time to start discussing football things, is it really? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, the, things like that happen, but, um, you know, in general, I think that the Chinese were, 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 were great uh, apart from if you if you were paying for the meal, and I think once I, I I'd got fined and I'd said a couple of things or whatever, and Howard decided to find me, and you know, it was like a week's wages or something, and I ended up I paid for the whole Chinese at my week's wages. So it's not fun when that's when you know that you're literally paying for all the food. So uh, yeah, but it was good. it was fun times. You look back, yeah, it was yeah. Fun. Probably good there wasn't camera phones at that point, actually, wasn't there? Yeah, well, stuff like that Andrew, I mean, like, you know, listen, I, I know the players are a little bit sort of protected species nowadays, but they yeah. just, it's so difficult for them. With, yeah. You know, it's a good point you're making because in those days, if people come up to you, they would say they would find a bit of paper from over the desk over there. So, Can you sign this, please? Yeah. And it, it, you know, if they was proper autograph hunters, they'd have their little cameras, like the Insta cameras or whatever they was called. But yeah. now... Everyone's got a phone camera. And yeah. You imagine if something kicked off now. I always say, like, even though I'm not, I'm not sort of nowhere near as high profile. Obviously, I was as a player. But if you know, if I had a row with someone now, within 30 seconds, you could literally be all around the world. Yeah. People showing that you're having a fight with a bloke down the road. So you, you do have to be really careful, especially the players of today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, Th- thanks for that. So that season, you were you were partnership with Graham Sharp wasn't it that, I think that season it was yeah. obviously another Everton legend um, what, what, what was it like playing with Graham obviously as you, uh, we didn't see him at our age group but you know uncles and dads have said what, what a great player he was what, what was it like playing with him for yourself as a young player oh he's a fantastic player Sharpie you know I mean you look at his goals record and what he'd done for the club what he achieved you know he was a big part I mentioned that 84 to 87 period you know he was a big part of that so 
you know, one of the reasons that I signed for Everton was to go and play alongside Graham Sharp. You know, yeah. I, I wanted to play with all the top players. You know, like I, I love Peter Reid. I thought Reedy was a great player. And then you got Neville in goal, Kevin Sheedy, you know, Dave Watson, Trevor Stephen, all these fantastic players. But Sharpie was one of the main reasons, you know, because I, I had Alan Smith playing for Arsenal. Yeah. And obviously it was all partnerships in those days. So if I'd have gone to Arsenal, I'd have played with Alan Smith. Um, and if I go to Everton, I'll play with Graham Sharp. So Sharpie was a huge pull with me going to Everton. So, no, listen, I, how do I sum up the partnership? Um, I think there were times where he was unplayable. There's no doubt about that. Um, there was other times where we didn't click. Um, I think with Sharpie in the team and Sharpie being used to playing with all the other players, you know, because I had it... I, I had a, a conversation with Kevin Sheedy, funny enough, and it, it, I wouldn't say it was a row, but it was a disagreement because, you know, I was showing for the ball to feet and every time I went to get the ball to feet, Sheedy has just smashed it 40 yards over my head to Graham Sharp. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't used to that because, yeah. you know, in the West Ham team where everything was like all like trying to play football all the time. And I, I'm not saying Sheeds was just smashing it. He was playing a controlled 40-yard pass to, to, to Sharpie and he'd take it down on his chest or head it or whatever. And the problem was, I was I was now thirty yards away from him, and I couldn't get near him for the knockdowns or for him to chest it down to me. So, you know, I was saying to Sheets, Sheets, you can't always play at the sharpie. You know, if I'm shouting at feet, playing to my feet, son. You know, nowadays everything, as you would know, everything's to feet, isn't it? It's all passing, yeah. passing, and everything. So that was what I was trying to do. But you know, it was. I think the thing I'm trying to say is, I had to adjust my game. Yeah, and I was asking Sheets and Sharpie to adjust their game, mm. and that was all part of the learning process for me as a young player trying to play with these experienced players. But I loved my time with Sharpie, I really did. And then, of course, Mike Newell arrived at the club, and then it made it a little bit more difficult because it wasn't just me and Sharpie guaranteed yeah. places. Mike Newell was was quite rightly fighting to have his place in the team, and you know, at one stage he was playing alongside Sharpie, and I was on the subs bench, and it was very frustrating for me. Yeah, well, Tony, when you very kindly agreed to come on, there was a number of things that I instantly said, I've got to ask T Tony Cotty this. A number of them are in this 1991 season. Uh, the, yeah. first, the first one really is, is quite a unique situation. I've never seen it happen anywhere. Uh, Con Harvey, unfortunately, lost his job as manager, only to come back as first team coach days later. Now, we've had Colin on the podcast, like I said, and he said in hindsight he, he shouldn't have done it. But yeah. he just wanted the best for Everton Football Club, so so, so he done it. For you as a player and the the, the the group of players, how did you feel seeing that the manager goes and then returns as a number two? Um, well, as you quite rightly say, it was a bit of a, a unique experience. Um, and from my point of view, I must admit I was a bit worried about the situation because um, quite obviously Colin had signed me. So, you know, first things first, I felt that I'd let Colin down, you know, because he'd signed me to score those 25 goals a season I mentioned and I, I hadn't done that in the first two seasons that he'd been in charge and I think it was the start of, I think I'm right in saying it was the start of my third season when he got the sack. Yeah. And of course when Howard was appointed I then thought, oh no, here we go because I, I thought to myself, well Howard's going to come back in, he's going to have all his favourites and then as I said there was a lot of the boys still there, there was a good five, six, seven players still there from the time before um, and I thought, well, it's going to make it really, really difficult for, for the younger players. And we was really fighting hard, the younger players, to try and establish ourselves in that team. And of course, when Howard was appointed, I know Colin was still going to be there as a coach mm -hmm. like, to obviously try and put our names forward. But Howard was always going to do it his way. And I remember the, um, the first game Howard was back in charge and it was Sheffield United away. And uh, he had me and Peter Beagree 
on the bench. And uh, it was one of the worst games. I sat there the whole game. I never got on and nodded beaks. And um, what's the whole game? And it was one of the worst games I've ever seen. But bearing in mind, we'd obviously been losing games. So it was, in a way, it was sort of good point, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we came in after the game and, and Howard, he started at Neville Southall and he sort of went round the whole room. Because bearing in mind, I think that, yeah, it was pre-Premier uh, League. So it was one to eleven. So it started off. Nev, absolutely brilliant, great saves. And then Snods, brilliant Snods. And then went nil point and then sort of worked his way around the team. Yeah. And then he got to number 12, which was Beeks. And he said, uh, Beeks, something like, um, if you ever warm up like that again, you'll never, ever get in my team. And then he looked at me and he said, something, if something along the lines of like, you will never, ever play for me until you start trying in training, you start trying in the reserve game, you will never, ever play for me or something like that. And and like I was like wow like because I'd never had anyone speak to me like that. Colin hadn't done it, and my yeah. John Lowe hadn't done it at West Ham, and it was a bit of a wow like you know. And then uh, from that moment onwards, my back went up with Howard, yeah. and uh, you know we was like that clashing all the time. And this just went on for about I don't know eighteen months, maybe two years. It was went on for a long time. It didn't really help things because really Howard needed me in the team because I was the one who was going to score the most goals. Um, but he didn't want to play me. And, you know, one of the conversations we had, he said to me, he said, look, he said, Tony, he said, I know you can score goals. He said, but I want you to contribute to the team and do the rest of the stuff. And I looked at him, I went, Howard, I said, look, I understand what you're saying, but I'm a goal scorer. I don't want to be chasing fullbacks and out by the corner flag. And when the ball goes in the box, I'm not, I'm not there and not scoring goals. And it was very much, he wanted me to do one thing. I wanted to do another. And listen, I'll, I know what I was like as a player. I was I was quite selfish. I was arrogant and confident in myself that on my day, and I say I stress on my day that I was a very good goal scorer on my day. Mm. And all I wanted to do was score goals. I didn't want to do all the other stuff. Which, you know, listen, looking back, you know, you can say, well, you know, that's not fair and that's not right. You look at the teams now. You look at them all pressing and doing it as a team and everything. And there's some great teams out there, aren't there? Pressing from the front and yeah. you know, bearing in mind. Listen, Ian Rush was doing it in the in the eighties, wasn't he, for Liverpool? So it's not yeah. a new thing, but you know that's what Howard wanted. And as a result of that, we just we was clashing all the time. And he played me, then he dropped me, then he played me, then he dropped me. And it took me, as I say, a good probably two years. And then I won Howard over. I signed a new three-year contract at the football club, and then Howard resigned about a month <laughs> later. And I thought, and it pretty much just summed it up. It was always yeah. at Everton for me. It was always. Two steps forward and one step back. Two steps forward, and, and I, I never sort of got over that circle of events that was going on. But you know, it, it, going back to your original, what you asked, I know I waffled on a bit, but you know, it was it was a bit different having Colin as a coach because yeah. you couldn't go to him as the manager. You're now trying to talk to him as a coach, and he was sort of he couldn't say what he wanted to say. I don't think so. I think it was all good for him and all good for us players as well. Another one, Andrew. We, we talked about before off air, didn't we? The the four four Merseyside derby. I can't believe we take that long to get to the game. <laughs> oh, I mean, what a what a game! Um, and uh, it's it, it, it's funny because a lot of the Evertonians that you meet, they go, well, "It must be the best game you ever played in." And I say, "Well, I never played in the game. No, no. I was a sub." And um, me as a substitute, I think I've already alluded to it. I, I didn't warm up. I didn't stretch. I didn't do anything. I was literally sitting there and if you want me to go on, let me know and I'll go on within 10 seconds because I had my boots on, my pads on, shirt on. I was ready to go. Like It, it frustrates the hell out of me nowadays. You, you see some of the subs 
they've got no shin pads on, no boots on, no shirt on. And, and then, like, they then expect to sort of do a warm-up and go, on, you know, like, I was, you know, I didn't warm up, but I was ready to go. And I'm just sitting there watching a fantastic game of football, you know, 1-0 Liverpool, 1-0, 2-1 Liverpool, 2-0, 3-2 Liverpool, at which point Howard goes, get warmed up. So I thought, all right, so I, I get up off my bench. It was about 75 minutes gone. I started warming up. I'm, it felt like forever, but I'm guessing it was about eight, nine minutes or whatever. And then he calls me over, take my gear off, ready to go on, puts his arm around me. He goes, TC, go on and get me a goal. And I looked up at the uh, the old scoreboard. There was, remember, there was the big old electronic scoreboard behind yeah, okay. the goal in those days. Yeah. And I looked at the, what, at, the, at the clock and it said 84 minutes. And I looked at the clock, and I won't swear because I don't know whether I'm allowed to or not, but I thought, what the hell do you think <laughs> I'm going to do in six minutes? Seriously. You know, because like normally when you come on as a sub, it takes you 10, 15 minutes really to get going in a game and feel a part of it. Yeah. But I, I could. I had my dad. My dad always used to say things to me. My dad was in my era. My dad. My dad would have said to me, "Don't go out wide. Stay down the middle. You will not score a goal out wide. You will score down the middle." My dad always used to say that to me. So I thought, right. I, I, I think my dad stayed down the middle of the pitch, and I, I only touched the ball twice because I've watched the last ten minutes when I come on. First one was a ten-yard layoff on the halfway line, and I didn't touch the ball after that. And then the second time it came to me, left foot, bottom corner, I made it three all. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was, I think the feeling with that that goal, that equalising goal, in, it just, just in injury time it was. I think that yeah. was probably the only goal really that was up there with my, my first goal on my debut in terms of that elation and that feeling yeah. of what you, what, and it's not just what I've done or what I've done or what the team have done. It was looking up at the fans going absolutely bizarre because we'd equalised again and then of course I then had the privilege to get the fourth equaliser when Barnsley had scored and I got another goal for all and it was just I don't know if there's a, if there's been a better Merseyside derby over the last 50-60 years since the Second World War someone will have to tell me which one it is because I don't think there's been a better one I don't think there has to be fair as I think that's the one isn't that's the one that everyone lives in everyone's memory as well isn't yeah. it still that's talked about 30 years ago as well it's unbelievable when it's 30 yeah. years ago yeah Probably, really. yeah that's proper good, isn't it? With the atmosphere, like you say, the atmosphere, the night game, under the lights, Gladys Street, brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. That's what it's about, isn't it, for Goodison? Oh, it was, Andrew, yeah. I mean, like those those nights. I mean, unfortunately, you know, in the six and a bit years that I was at the club, I mean, I've got to say those nights were sort of few and far between, really. But yeah. that particular night, it was a, that was a special game and special feeling for me to get those two goals. Yeah. <laughs> um, OK, so another player you played with, Peter Peter Beardsley, who was, who was a fan's favourite at the time. Um, what any? What was he like? Decent player to play with. Frustrating no. to play with because he's no, no, type of player. No. no, frustrating. He was he was a wonderful player. I mean, I, I'd been in the England squad with Pete in the uh, sort of the mid eighties, so I knew how good he was. I knew that partnership he'd had with Gary Lineker, so I knew that me and him could could link up and play well together. And you know, what I loved about Peter, he he was there was two things that I loved about him. There was in terms of the team spirit side of things and that, like Peter, he wasn't a drinker, uh, and nor was Neville Southall, by the way. The two of them never used to drink. But whenever we had either a Chinese or we went pre-season, end of season, never all the lads went out for a drink. He always used to come out and be a part of it and join in the fun. And I, I used to admire him for that because I think there's a lot of people out there who go, oh, no, I don't drink. I don't want to be around people. And, but he was always one of the boys. And I liked the team spirit side of things. And, and, Secondly, and probably more appropriately, is that he 
he was such a fantastic footballer. And I think there was one game, I can't remember who it was against. He, uh, it might have been Leeds, you know, back in the early 90s when he, was, when he came to the club. And Peter beat about four players and went in, in, into the penalty area after beating the four players. And the goalkeeper comes out on the angle and instead of shooting, which I would have done, there's no doubt about it, he cut the ball back square to me and I tapped the ball into the empty net. I was about three yards out. All I've got to do is concentrate and make sure you put it in the back of the net. Yeah. And the ball's gone in the back of the net. And Peter's come running over to me, jumping on, jumping on top of me, cuddling me, and like as if I've scored the best goal that he's <laughs> ever seen in his life. And he's just beaten four players and drawn the goalkeeper. And all I've done is tapped it. He's done all the hard work and I got all the glory. And, and again, I really, really admired that about him because he was such a fantastic team player. You know, you boys would have seen him. He, he, yeah, in terms yeah. of team players, it's, it, I, I don't think there was too many better team players. I, one player I would mention, you might not like me mentioning him, Emil Heskey at Leicester. He was very much a team player. He played yeah. for the team. You know, it wasn't all about scoring the goals, but in terms of what he did for the team, he was fantastic when I played at Leicester. And Peter was the same when he arrived at Everton. He was just such a great, he was a great lad and a really, really top team player. And I, I love playing alongside him. He was brilliant. Yeah. Tony, I think if they make a Mount Rushmore of Everton players, there's, there's one player who, who you played with who's on it, definitely Mr Neville Southall. Um, at one time, the best in the world, maybe not so in the early 90s, but... What was he like day to day at Belfield? What was his character like? Was he one of the lads, or was he like the, you know, the, the Godfather, if you will, of the dressing room? No, Nev was just, it's just a nutcase. Nev, he was just mad. I mean, <laughs> you always say that the goalkeepers are mad, but I mean, I think Nev was right up there in terms of all the crazy goalkeepers I played with. And um, listen, I, you know, listen, you've said everything that there needs to be said about him as a goalkeeper. He was a, genuinely a world class goalkeeper, um, but as a lad, he was. He was funny as anything, very, very funny, very dry, very sarcastic. He's, some of his one-liners, he absolutely destroyed people with one-liners and you, you couldn't respond to it because it was so funny what Nev had said. That you, you're so busy laughing that you can't come back to it because it, <laughs> it was too funny, you know. And, uh, you know, to, to sum him up, I, I remember, um, I think it, it yeah, would have been under Howard and um, he wanted to do some team play. So, um, so what he did, he, he got the reserves and the youth players or whatever it was to, to make it an 11 v 11 game at Belfield. And the, the whole gist of what we was doing was for the midfielders and the forwards, which was great for people like me because the whole session was based about scoring goals and creating goals. And I, yeah. I, you know, I loved a session like that. Yeah. But for the defenders, now bearing in mind they're playing against maybe a couple of the youth team forwards or the reserve players, it's pretty boring. And for the goalkeeper, <laughs> Nev, who's in goal for us, because it was very much the first team, you know, Nev is just obviously bored as anything, really, really bored. So the game's gone on for about 30, 40 minutes and that, and Howard kept stopping it and like, let's do this, and let's try this, and, you know, just sort of team play and stopping and starting and everything. And then all of a sudden, everyone started laughing. And I thought, what are they laughing at? And we looked round, right, and Nev had climbed up the goalpost and was literally laying on the crossbar, <laughs> on top of the crossbar. Yeah, he wasn't hanging from it. He was laying on top of the crossbar, and he was pretending to be asleep. Like, like obviously, one of the boys has seen it. We've all started laughing, and it just brought the house down. It was just absolutely hilarious. And you know, he just—I think, what do you say about else about Nev? He just—he didn't care. He—he he was his own man. He was his own person. I think if you follow him on Twitter now or read his book or whatever, he, he doesn't care. He says yeah, it how yeah. it is. 
Yeah. And I admire him for that. I always got on really well with Nev, you know, and he was a wonderful goalkeeper. But, uh, you know, yeah, the other thing as well that springs to mind was the five sides. So I've come from West Ham where the goalkeeper's Phil Parks, who, who was a wonderful goalkeeper. You talk about world-class goalkeepers. Parks, he was a really top goalkeeper. Yeah. But he couldn't play with his feet. You know, he was very uncomfortable kicking the ball and playing out from the back or whatever. Because you, know, you didn't have to do it in those days. Even when the back passed, you picked it up and that was yeah. it, you know. So when I've gone to Everton, and this was the Friday before my debut against Newcastle, we, we do a five-a-side, and, and Nev is playing as an outfield player. And, and I couldn't get my head around it. I'm thinking, what, what is he doing? Because like, I'd never seen anything like it. And Nev, like everyone's sort of taking it a little bit easy because we got Newcastle, first game of the season. And Nev was running around, kicking everyone, slide tackling and everything. It was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And... I'll never forget that. And, you know, he was the first, one of the first goalkeepers, I think, who, who he actually wanted to be an outfield player. You know, you look at all the goalies now, they all think they can play and kick the ball yeah. and everything. And Nev was probably one of the pioneers. You had, obviously, Groblar across the road, but I think Nev was much better than, than Groblar in terms of his ability with his feet and how he could kick the ball and everything. But he was a real character. I love playing football with Nev. He was brilliant. Another player that I did want to ask you about briefly, if, if you didn't mind, and again, we've asked your ex-teammates Ian Snowden and Mark Ward about um, Billy Kenny. Now, what they both said that they alerted, it was it was such you know such a shame what happened to Billy because he, he burst onto the scene and he had off-the-field problems, which, which took his football career away. Can you, can you recall um, how good Billy was around Belfield and then, you know, how he left the club and, and how upset it was for the team? Yeah, I think um, the thing is, Ian, like, I mean, obviously, I, I probably wasn't involved in it as much as the local lads. I mean, I think if you're a local lad, you know what it's like, Mercer. So if you're a local lad, you get all the gossip and you know who's doing this and who, like, my uncle said this and my brother, and then yeah. you get all the information because yeah. it's, like it's like a small village, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I was I was very much like based in Southport. So I'd, I'd go, as I said earlier, I'd go to Belfield, I'd do my training, I'd, I'd go home again, and then I was doing what I was doing indoors. So, I wasn't really part of the gossip scene as such. I don't mean that in a horrible way. I just didn't oh, no, really feedback like the locals did. Um, yeah, listen, all I can say is like, you get the, the the whispers and the vibes. Oh, there's a good young player in the youth team, and, and that was obviously Billy Kenny. Mm. And then he come through, and you could see he was a he was a real player. He was a good footballer, and you could see he had a real chance and a real potential and everything. And then he just never progressed. And, you know, because he got to a certain stage and sometimes it happens with, with young players that they break through, they, they sort of get to be a part of the first team. Sometimes they play five, 10, 15 games and then they can completely disappear off the radar. You can get players come through, I don't know, the likes of Stuart Barlow or someone like that, for example, and, and, and they play a few games and then they move on somewhere else. And, yeah. you know, you never quite know with the with the, the academy lads whether they're going to, you know, stay in the first team. You know, we, we all want them to be like, Tom Davis or, you know, other examples I'm sure you could give me that come through the academy and everything and that. Mm. But, you know, it's, it's um, you know, with Billy, he he got so far and then he never really kicked on. And, you know, obviously I know now that there was obviously other reasons, mm. you know, for, for that, for him not kicking on. But I, I didn't know that back then. I didn't know that at the time. I just, I just thought it was sad that he never, he never pushed on as a footballer because he was a wonderful talent. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so if if we talk about the Premier League when it first the inception of the Premier League ninety two, you're obviously one of the players that went from before the Premier League old first division into the Premier League, and you know since then the wages have gone massive, TV revenue and everything. But at the time in in ninety two when it was talked about, when it was becoming a thing, 
was was it a big deal for players? Was it was was it was it exciting to know that it was going into a Premier League? How, how, what was the feeling about it from your point of view? Uh, yeah, I think there was an excitement. I, I think just before then there'd been talk, and you know, because I think uh, I'm trying to think. I was the PFA man at one stage, but I can't remember whether I was at that particular time or not. Um, but there was talk of like the players not getting as much money as they should have done. It needs to be there needs to be more money coming to the players. So, you know, me personally, I thought to myself, well, you know, listen, if this idea comes off, hopefully, and it was only hopefully that you know we would all end up getting a little bit more money as a reward for what we was doing because. You know, I think, listen, footballers, I'm not going to say otherwise, but footballers have always been paid. Well, it doesn't matter where, but, you know, once the abolition of the of the, uh, the maximum wage was, you know, once that went, then players have always earned, you know, even back in the 60s, they was all earning good money in relation to what your average working class man was getting. But, of course, nowadays, I mean, that's just, you, you can't even uh, get your, I, I can't get my head around what they earn nowadays. It's frightening money. But, you know, in those days, we was, we were sort of trying to get our, our heads around the fact that if the Premier League came into being, then we hopefully would all get rewarded. And, you know, I touched on my new contract that I got with Howard that was signed in the Premier League, right at the start of the Premier League years. And it was an increase on what I got as the record transfer, you know, previously, yeah, yeah. which had been what, four or five years previous. Yeah. It wasn't a massive increase, but it was an increase. So, yeah. you know, I, I sort of benefited from that point of view. But, you know, in, in terms of everything else, I, I think, uh, you know, there was a bit more razzmatazz, weren't there? I think the, the, the live games were very glitzy and yeah, the cheerleading. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was all all a bit more glamorous and, and the names and numbers, which was a great innovation on the back of the shirts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I think everyone really sort of felt, well, well this is good, but there's no way, if you, you put your hand on your heart, there's no way that anyone would have said that what happened back in 1992 was going to have the effect mm. that it's had over the last 29 years. Because, you know, if you'd have said, like, you know, players are going to be average wage of 60 grand a week or 100 grand a week or things like that, which is what we're looking at with some of the top teams, is, yeah. you know, you would have said there's no way that football's going to go in that direction. But it has. Um, you look at the stadiums, you know, all the all-seater stadiums and where does, where where football is now with everything and the TV rights and the money game and all the coverage around the world is, it's an incredible brand and product now it really is. And, you know, I don't think there's no, there's no way anyone envisaged what was going to happen, but you know, there's, there's a lot of good things that have happened. There's no doubt about that, but I think there's also part of sort of, should we say the older supporter that sort of harks back to the good old days of the terracing and having a hot dog that costs 20 pence and things like that, you know, it's changed quite a bit, yeah. as you well, as you boys well know, from a supporters' point of view. So, so what you mentioned there about sorry, about the terraces and the change to the all seater was that was that different to playing? Was, was it a noticeable difference in terms of atmospheres and grounds? Obviously, Goodison's closed in, and a lot of English club grounds were at the time. What mm. was it a noticeable difference when it went to all seater in terms of playing? Yeah, I think it was sad, wasn't it? When you know when the, the Gladys Street went to from terrace into all seater, I think that was sad. And then they built the, you know the Park Lane in that, that was all seater. It, you know, it was just slowly dismantling everything. You know, listen, I, I grew up as a I was a fan in the seventies, a West Ham fan, and you know I was on the terrace here and, and yeah. surging here and going here, and you know, yeah. it, it, just wonderful times, you know. Yeah. And we just got on with it because it was very basic and primitive, but you didn't know any different, you know. But once the all seaters come in, you could. There was a there was definitely a change in the atmosphere, uh, a change in the the noise generated as well because yeah. obviously you you probably had fifty percent less people in that yeah. section 
So where it was really, really noisy, you, you didn't get that because of people were sitting down and it, it, it just, you lost the atmosphere a little bit. And I think that's the, you know, unless I, I know that, I know it's a really delicate situation with all what went on with Hillsborough, but mm. I am very pro the safe standing coming back because yeah. I think if you get the safe standing, you know, I'd like to think, I know Everton are going to be going to a new ground and that. I'd like to think that they'll do what Spurs have done with their new ground and have a just a dedicated terrace behind one of the goals where you can sit down and you can stand up as well yeah. because I think you would then get a lot more noise from the fans and they would feel more of a part of it like what they used to in the old days. So, yeah, it is what it is. But, it, yeah, you know, there was definitely a, a noticeable change, not just the Goodison, by the way, but, you know, every other ground you went to, you know, even the Cop or, you know, the Stratford End or whatever whatever ground you named, yeah. there was... It was definitely a changing atmosphere and the noise coming from that part of the stadium. Yeah. No, no, sorry, Andrew, what, what I was going to say to Tony there is Tony touched upon uh, the Premier League having name and numbers on, on the back of the shirts. Now, Tony, just a side story, my mum does not like football, but she absolutely loved you for one reason. <laughs> I had So Everton used to charge by the letter and by the number. So Cotty 9 was one number, six letters. Cheap. Yeah, so, cheap. So, cheap. And, then, and then when you left, I went to Kinchelska's 17. <laughs> And she yeah. and she said to me, "Can't you just get Cotty Nine?" I, like, I, I wish, <laughs> Mum. I wish she's gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story, really good story. But yeah, it was it was all new for all of us, wasn't it? You know, um, you know, I just grown up with with a number on your back, and and then all of a sudden you had the names on the back, and yeah. that. And you know, I think it was I think it was good. I think it was good for the fans, and it, yeah. it you know, you 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 like you say, if you went into the club shop and you could identify the player, weren't because it's all right having a number nine on the back of your shirt, but if that number nine is Graham Sharp one week and then Tony Crotty the next week, then Mike Newell the next week, that yeah, you yeah. wasn't being the person you wanted to be. Yeah, but true. I think once the names went on the back, then I don't know for what bizarre reason, Ian, you would want to be me, but <laughs> it, 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 you could be me every week because you had your name and number on the back. You're selling yourself short, TC. You're selling yourself <laughs> short. So, um, what, what I did want to ask as well is, is growing up as young Evertonian, now you eventually did leave Everton and we will get to that, but Every season, there seemed to be rumours of you being homesick. And it was like you were eventually always going back to West Ham. Was that just paper talk in the early 90s, the 91, 92, 93? Or was there something in that? Were you always sort of looking to get back to West Ham eventually? Well, I think, you know, in, certainly in the early 90s, I, I think a lot of the, the reasons for, you know, yourself reading rumours like that would have been um, because I was in and out of the team. And, mm. you know, obviously, when you, when you travel... When you travel so far, like listen, I'm, I'm talking to you guys to, today. I'm living in South End. I'm in Essex. I couldn't be any further away, probably from Merseyside, unless I went to the northeast of Scotland. It, you know, it's literally 250 miles for me to. If I left now, it'd probably take me five hours in the car to get there. Mm-hmm. So, the point being, I was a long, long way from home. Yeah. And the reason I went to Everton Football Club was, you know, listen. Obviously, I wanted to win trophies. I know that, but I wanted to play regular football and I wanted to be part of a successful team. So, of course, if you're not playing regular football, then, yeah, of course, I'm going to be unhappy. And then when you're not in the team, it, listen, it, I, I would say, being honest, every now and again, like my agent might put a little snippet in or something, oh, Tony's not happy. But yeah. it was all designed to try and get me back in the team, not necessarily yeah. to get you to move to somewhere else. And then, of course, you then had the papers, oh, Tony Cotty's not playing, oh, he's, he can't be happy, he must be going to Arsenal or West Ham or wherever he's going, you know. So there was a lot of rumours like that. Um, as I said, in 93, I signed a new three-year contract. Yeah. So I was happy. I was really, really happy. I'd won Howard Kendall over, and I was really happy up until Howard resigned. 
And from that moment onwards, and you know who took over after that, from that, <laughs> moment, from that moment onwards, I've, you know, I think the writing was on the wall. And it was that was a great shame, really, because I think it all could have been so different. You know, I look back now and, you know, there's, there's two things that I would love to have done as an Everton. Well, three things. Um, I would love to have played under Joe Roll. For me, you know, when Howard left to get Mike Walker, I know he'd done well at Norwich. I understand that and accept that. But Joe Roll was the standout candidate. He should by far have been right miles above anyone else and he should have got the job. If Joe Roll would have signed, eventually Big Dunk would have arrived. And if Big Dunk would have arrived, I would have scored my 100th goal for Everton. I wouldn't have ended up with 99 goals. So they're the three things that, are, you know, apart from not winning a trophy, obviously, because that is a real big regret of mine. But I think those three things were, but that was all intertwined with Howard leaving and Mike Walker taking over. And I think once that happened, as I say, you know, with our form went downhill and it was, you know, as you know, we very nearly got relegated. Yeah. Would have been a good partnership that actually Fergus and Cotty, what, what a partnership oh, yeah. that would have been. Yeah, yeah. I was going that, that never happened, Andrew. I really yeah. was because. You know, as I say, I you know I wouldn't just have got my hundredth goal. I think I'd have got on, gone on and got another fifty, maybe hundred goals at Everton. And I might have stayed there for the rest of my career. Who knows? You just yeah. you don't know, do you? But me and Big Dunk would have been a good partnership. Yeah. So Mike Walker, as you say, there he done all right at, at, at Norwich. Was it was it always obvious when he came in that it they weren't going to work? What what was the, what was the issue? Because as you say, he was you know he done all right. Wasn't a standout candidate, but he was you know. Norwich, Norwich were, were all right under him when he came in. What? Yeah, it's, it's, it's oh, I don't know. Yeah, again, looking back, um, because well, we, we beat Swindon 6 2, didn't we, in one of his first yeah, games? And yeah. we were like, oh, God, God, this is going to be great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it was a good start against Swindon. Um, but I don't know. I think, um, I think the lads very quickly suss out managers. And yeah. I, I think, in terms of the training, um, a lot of the training was. Very, very basic. Um, when I say basic, it was it was like they was training schoolboys, um, because the, the training under both Colin and Howard was very uh, ball orientated. It was it was like um, head tennis and five sides and very very simple but relevant sessions. Or you do a bit of team play or whatever, you know. Yeah. And then when Mike Walker arrived, and he had Dave Williams, I think his name was, with him, and. Dave was putting sessions on that I did when I was a 13-year-old. And it was like little passing drills and things like that. And, and uh, anyway, Mike Walker called me in. He called me into his office, bearing in mind I was the top goal scorer. And he said, he said, what's the matter with you? He said, like, you don't look like you're enjoying training. You look bored. I went, Mike, uh, uh, Gaffer, I said, I am bored. I said, I've done that when I was 13 years of age. I said, I don't want to be doing passing drills and things like that. He said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to do five-a-sides. I said, I want to do shooting practices. I want to do passing drills. It, it, you know, so there, there, was, there was that side of it. So I think the, the lads were getting bored with the training. And I just think with the manager, I think he was, um, I don't know, I just think he he sort of, he didn't manage the players. I, I think with, with, certainly with Colin and Howard, you had, there was interaction, there was banter, there was team spirit, uh, there was good coaching, there was motivation. You had all that from both of them. But with Mike, I don't think, I, I, I Personally, you know, I, I think he was a bit out of his depth. That's my own personal feelings on it. And and again, again, I don't want to detract from managing Norwich City and doing what he did at Norwich because he'd done very well, you know, to beat Bayern Munich, third in the Premier League, you know, planning you for cut for a team like Norwich. I mean, they're, they're in the Championship now. Imagine they would take that all day long if you said yeah. you're going to do that season. 
So I don't want to take away from his achievements at Norwich, but for me, Everton, it never worked. You know, I felt he was out of his depth. And as a result of that, I think that the, the lads just, I don't know, I think as, a, as individuals and as a team, we sort of, we drifted and we lost concentration. Um, and and football, football's not like a tap. You can't turn it on and off. You know, you've got to be at it every single game. You've got to be on it, get the results as an individual and as a team. Um, before we knew where we were, we was losing 3-0 at Leeds on the last but one game. And then we're going into the last game of the season in the bottom three, knowing that if all the results go against us, we get relegated. Okay. And, you know, it was it was bizarre. It really was a bizarre season, especially after, you quite right to say, you know, we beat Swindon 6-2. And then, you know, we then just went such a nosedive. And, you know, and it's hard to pick it up. You, as I say, you can't turn it on and off. You know, I know we won against Wimbledon, but... You know, that was a really, really tough end of the season for us. Mm. It was so scary, Andrew, wasn't it? As, as fans, I remember going into that, that Wimbledon game and, and like, my, my dad was, was pacing the guard the, the, the week leading up to it. I think you were the same, Andrew, weren't you? You yeah, that's yeah. got a fam- famous story of, of sneaking out that morning as you get, get into the game. Yeah, we didn't have season tickets that season. We got the season ticket the, ne- the next season. So uh, my dad just pretended he went for a pint of milk and didn't come home all afternoon. So that's him going, where is my dad? Uh, I don't know where he's going. I don't know where he's going. We've got the radio on in the house. And uh, and obviously he's gone to, to, to watch the match. But um, obviously there's stories about, about the Wimbledon coach and everything, wasn't there? And the Everton fans and stuff. And as you say there, Mike, you know, Mike Walker wasn't the best man. It just sounds like he'd lost the dressing room to, you know, as the phrase goes. To a degree, yeah. What, yeah. what, what, what was he like? So was there any motivation the week leading up to that game? Then was it the players who rally around each other in order to get motivated for it, or was it? How did that? How how did that come out? You know, work out, if you well, like. I, yeah, I think I think the players knew that we had to stand up and be counted. And I mean, if you look at that team that played against Wimbledon that day, there were some good players in that team. You know, sure, there's yeah, no yeah. way that. It, relegation team which we'd never have ever been in that position uh, and then of course like to concede a penalty after five minutes and then an own goal 20 minutes later and be 2-0 down against what was a good Wimbledon team let's not forget I know Fash wasn't playing but they still had the likes of Dean Oldsworth and people like that you know it was a, mm. it was a, it was a good Wimbledon team so you know I'm scratching my head standing there moaning at the defenders obviously because they conceded two goals <laughs> Thinking, how on earth are we going to get out of this? You know, this is this is a nightmare. Did you, did you feel that Tony on on the pitch? Did you feel yeah. that? Because I remember being in, in the ground, and before this game and since, I've never been part of a crowd that in the same second gasped and went silent. And yeah, it was sort of sometimes going one one down, two nil down. Sometimes me sitting in the Gladys Street will think I've got to do more. I, I, I sat there thinking I don't know what's going on. Could you feel that on a two nil down? Oh, yeah, of course you could, yeah. I mean, you know, the it, there was an expectation, wasn't there? I think everyone who was in the ground that day just expected Everton to, to roll Wimbledon over and yeah. that was it. And it was never, ever going to be as easy as that. And, of course, when the second goal went in, it, you're right, it was just because I think Wimbledon probably would have had their usual 50 fans behind the goal. And, and <laughs> it, it was no sort of cheering, really, I don't think. Yeah. from It was just a deathly silence and a, a realisation, oh, my God, we are two goals down now. And, as we all know, to come back from two goals down in a professional football match in the top flight is very, very difficult. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it obviously it happens in during the course of the season, but it's not that many times that, that teams come from two goals down. So, you know, I think I think we deserve credit because obviously we got the penalty just before half time, yeah. and then you know Barry Orme, like I mean, 
like normally when Barry, he'll take this in the right way, I know he would, but normally when he used to shoot in training, he used to run out the way because he knew it was going to hit you or hit someone at the top of the Gladys Street stand or something, you know. But, I mean, the goal was just a fantastic goal. And he never, well, if he said he got a better goal than that in his career, he must be lying because that was just one of the best goals I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, to get the winner, you know, eight minutes from the end was was just fantastic. And it was, but it it was a bizarre day. And, you know, I remember sitting in the dressing room after the game and, you know, I think there was champagne flying and things like, you know, everyone might walk and all that, you know, drinking. And I'm not just Mike, but some of the players as well. And, you know, and I'm thinking to myself that we shouldn't, shouldn't be celebrating this. You know, mm-hmm. Everton Football Club should never, ever be in that position where you're going to go get relegated. Imagine if we'd have gone down for the first time in 40 years and you're a part of that team. You know, it would have been a disaster from the fans' point of view. And as a player, you've got that for the rest of your career. Where you, oh yeah, you was one of the, you was one of those idiots who got ever relegated. And I, I and I'm sat in that dressing room after I'm thinking we should not be celebrating. This can never ever happen again. And of course, like I think three seasons and five seasons later, I think Everton had yeah. sort of a couple more brushes with relegation. So you know, it was obvious that a rot had set in at the football club, and you know it was going to take quite a while. Well, it's going to wait basically David Moyes to come along to transform the club. But, mm. um, you know, that particular day, it was, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I wasn't pleased and really, really happy at the end of the game and when Graham Stewart's goal went in. I'm not saying I weren't happy and elated at the time, but I do remember sitting there thinking, you know, and I didn't go out. After my debut, I went out and celebrated. I didn't go out after that game and think, well, we're staying in the Premier League because it wasn't a celebration game. It was a, it was a massive relief. Yeah. Well, th- yeah. three games in to the following season, 94-95. For me and Andrew, as young Evertonians, disaster happened that the number nine had gone back to West Ham. Now, in that pre-season, I don't recall, and I could be wrong, I don't recall any rumours of, of this deal happening. It just seemed to happen out of nowhere. The whole deal seemed strange. Even getting David Burrows as part of it, it, it all just didn't have up. What's the story yeah. behind Brands? You, you leave and Everton? Was it, was it a long process? Was, was it quick? What happened? I think it was, yeah, I think it was relatively quick. I mean, uh, I had an agent at the time and he sort of said that West Ham were looking for a centre-forward. Harry Redknapp wanted a centre-forward. Um, and, you know, I'd the start of that season, you're right. I mean, I, 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 it, listen, it's a long time ago. It's hard to remember exactly how you mm. felt. But, you know, from what I can remember, I, I, I don't think I was overly happy in pre-season. I would, you know, I thought, you're looking forward to the start of the season, but I wasn't sure if I was really a part of the manager's plans. You know, you okay. get that vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I must admit, I can't, I can't even remember whether I started. I don't know whether you boys have looked at it, but those three fixtures you mentioned, I, I don't even remember whether I played. You started all three. Yeah, you started start? at home yeah. to Aston Villa on the first game. Then we got beat yeah. by City away in top right, and You played all three. Yeah, so, so listen, I don't remember those three games. Listen, if you ask me what games were scored in, I probably could talk you through all <laughs> the games you need scoring. You know, they just sort of they go into a blur. And, yeah, of course. So, yeah, obviously, obviously, I'd started the three games. And then I don't know whether something must have happened because the next thing I know, I was playing in a reserve game um, for at Goodison against Liverpool. Yeah. And, the reason I remember it is because Julian Dix was playing centre-half for, for, for Liverpool and obviously I was playing centre-forward for Everton reserves. But we just spent the whole game chatting to each other. Like, you know, it was like Dixie was saying to me, well, I think I might be going back to West Ham. And I went, well, do you know what? I think I might be going back to West Ham. It was one of those conversations. Yeah. So for once, Dixie never kicked me and I never really sort of, you know, put a shift in as perhaps like I should have done because 
you know, I'm thinking, well, I don't really want to get injured because if I'm going to West Ham, I don't want to be injured type of and, and that was, it, it was, it was a bit bizarre, but I don't remember the reason, especially as you say, if I've started three first team games, why have I then been put in the reserves? Yeah. But the one thing you can say is once you get put into the reserves like that, you're thinking, oh, here we go. Managers, not it might have been an international break or something. I don't know. I can't. I really can't remember. Um, and I, I, I must have just thought to myself, I've just, I think I'd got to the stage, pretty much had had enough of reserve football. I'd had all that. I'd had a bit of a taste of it under Colin. I'd had it obviously as I explained with Howard, yeah. and I just didn't really want to go through the process anymore of trying to fight my way back into the team. And and do you know what I? I I probably should have done, but I don't remember doing this. I don't think I focused on the hundredth goal aspect of it because right. really, I mean, you know, I mean, how stupid really of me to leave a football club when you're 99 goals. That's just, that is stupid, isn't it? It really is a stupid thing to do because, you know, if you just stay a couple more weeks, eventually you'll get a goal going off your knee or something and you've got your hundredth goal. And so I, I don't know. I mean, I suppose... I suppose the reason it was so quick and the reason that I didn't think about the 100th goal was for me as a West Ham fan, the lure of going back to my hometown yeah. club. And, you know, it would have been the same if it was the role reversal. And if I was an yeah. Evertonian, yeah. I've got West Ham and you would do exactly the same thing. So, yeah, it happened really quickly. And then, you know, I signed for the club. And then, you know, I, I remember looking forward to playing against Everton and, and that came round in the January, February, I think, of, the, of that season and, and, and I scored two goals against Everton. It was a really wet pitch and I remember scoring the two goals during two all. So, yeah, yeah it was it was strange for me, really. But I, I think as a footballer, you don't have time to think about things. You have to make snap decisions like West Ham, what you do you want to go or not? And obviously for me, it was, you know, I'm going to go and, you know... I, I suppose your next question, I'm going to preempt your next question. You're going to say, <laughs> how, do I, how do I sum up my time at Everton? How's that? Is that the question coming next? You, you, yeah, you, you're very warm. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do I sum it up? I, I always say, right club, but the wrong time. You know, I think if I'd have signed in, obviously the, the mid 80s, I would have won the trophies. You know, as you know, I left in 94. Everton won the cup in 95 under Joe Royal. If I'd have stayed a bit longer, I would have won probably the FA Cup. You know, maybe... I don't know, maybe Paul Rylak might never have played. I might have been playing alongside Big Duncan. You just don't know, do you, with that game? So, um, right club, wrong time. Um, I look back, uh, six and a bit fantastic years. My daughter, Chloe, was born in, in Southport. So, as I always remind her, when her birthday comes around in, what is it, two weeks' time, I say, Chloe, you was born in Southport. You're a sand grander. Don't forget that. You've born up on Merseyside. <laughs> uh, and funny enough, she got married last year and her husband's an Evertonian. So, how's that? Oh, she's it? got great taste, great yeah. taste. Full circle. It, it, it was obviously meant to be, wasn't yeah. it? So, um, yeah, and then I look at my personal achievements. You know, to be top scorer for Everton five out of six seasons is it for me is a you know, great achievement. They used to give me the Dixie Dean Trophy at the end of each season, saying you was top goal scorer. And you know, they're they're upstairs in my trophy cabinet, very you know pr pride of place. You know, to to do that for Everton, and you know, I think I'm number ten on the all time goal, goal scoring list. You know, behind some great names, you know, Dixie and Bob Latchford and Sharpie and all those Decent, wonderful yeah. names. Tommy Lawton might be up there. You know, there must, there's some great names. You know, you, you don't need me to tell you the, the number nines that play for the club. Mm. So, um, yeah, I look back with real pride of what I did achieve, but also a tinge of sadness that I didn't achieve certain things and, the, you know, like getting the under of goal. But I think the main thing that really annoys me is I didn't win anything at Everton Football Club because I'd, mm. I'd love to have felt what it was like to win something at Everton. And I also would love to have given something back to the fans because throughout 
through the thick and thin, even when I was playing reserve football and everything, the, I, I can't stress how great the Evertonians were with me. You know, not everyone, obviously. Listen, you know, I'm not silly. I know that there's obviously always going to be a small minority of people that think you're a, not a good player, you should do more. You know, And I understand that. That would be the same at every single football club. But I would say the vast majority of Evertonians fully supported me and backed me. And, mm. you know, whenever I speak to Evertonians now, and I come up to the game, as I say, it's not too often because of how far away I am, but when I come up to the games and hopefully I'll be doing it next season, I'll come up to Goodison and I always get a fantastic reception off the fans and I love that. And it, that really means a lot to me. Yeah, Tony, it's, it's been absolutely fascinating and a pleasure to speak to you. We don't want to keep you much longer. If you don't mind, two quick questions before you go. When, when, when someone says to you, Everton Football Club, what's the first memory or the moment of the game? What, what, what are you most proud to start for your time at Everton Football Club? Oh, wow. Um, it, it, it probably is going to sound a bit bizarre because I think I've, I, I don't know the exact figures. I've played 230, 240 games for the club. But I think my first game for Everton is is the one thing I'm, I'm the most proud of. And that, it, it, it's almost sad in a way. <laughs> you can play all them games and the one thing that you're most proud of is your debut because, uh, you know, I, I won't repeat myself because I've already told you about it. But I think that was, for me, that was the standout game of my career. You know, yes, the 4-4, the Wimbledon game, you know, being the top scorer, all the different things that happened during the course of my career. And there's probably many other goals and games I've forgotten as well. But I think the one thing, if you if you say to me, what you know, what's your, your, your best memory at Everton, I probably would go for my debut. Well, that's a great shout. And, and finally, um, this podcast is going to go wide to Evertonians worldwide, Evertonians who, who loved you as kids, as men. Have you got a message for the Evertonians who are listening to this? Yeah, I've got a message that I think the good times are just around the corner. I think you've been very, very patient. And, uh, you know, for Everton to go, what's going to be coming up for 26 years without winning the trophy is not good enough for Everton Football Club. I would say that first things first. Listen, guilty as charged. I've been a part of of the reasons why that's not happening. I accept that. But, you know, I think the good times are around the corner. I think the club's got a very good manager now. I think there's some fantastic players at the club. I love Richarlison. I love DCL. I think he's fantastic. And many, many other good players at the club. You've got an incredible football stadium coming in in the not-too-distant future. You know, I think I've seen all the plans and the drawings and that. And yes, it's going to be very, very sad to leave Goodison. And I hope I'm a part of the celebrations and all the, the history and, the, you know, the memories that are going to be on that special night when Everton finally play their final game. But you look at where the club's going at the moment, you look at the new ground that's coming and you can only think that Everton one day, I'm not going to say one day soon because it might take a little bit of time because you can't, you can't build everything overnight. It might take a little bit of time. But I think the new ground, I think I'm right in saying is about four, three, four years away. Yeah. Think, yeah. You know, you, let, let's say in five years' time, I think, all the Evertonians around the world will be looking at a, a different football club and a club in a different place. And, and by, by that, I mean challenging to be in the Champions League every year. I know hopefully they're going to do it this year. They're going to put in a really, really good challenge to get into that top four. And what Evertonians want, they want that to happen every year and they want to win a trophy as well. They want to win the FA Cup. You know, how can Everton not won the League Cup? That's madness as well. That's got to be put right as well. And then you then look to European football so I think the good times are coming back to the club and hopefully I'm going to I'm going to be viewing from a distance and I'm going to be enjoying Everton going on to win trophies and, and get the club back to where it was back in those, those glory days of the mid-80s just before I arrived at the club. 
No, it's that's an amazing way to end the show. Tony, when the world opens up, we've got a studio in Liverpool. So when Sky sends you to Goodison, please pop in for a beer. There's a crate on us with your name on for the train journey home. How's that sound? That sounds really good, guys, but I've still got to get to Houston and find my way home. I'll probably get lost. If you give me a crate of lager, I'll, I'll be drunk and I'll never get home. But that's the idea of it, isn't it? So, but now, listen, that's very kind of you. And um, you know, as I say, I don't think it's going to be till next season, but I, I, you know, I, I always get an invite from the club to come up for at least one game a season. So when I'm yeah. up there, I'll drop you boys a line and hopefully we can follow up on this conversation and I'll, yeah. I'll look forward to that break for you. Can't wait. Whoever said don't meet your heroes is a damn fool. Tony Cotty, thank you for joining us on Across the Park podcast. And you, Ian. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Tony. Come on, Everton. Come Hello everyone, welcome to the first Across the Park podcast instant match reaction of the 2021-2022 season. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Millsy and Pricey, it's Judge here and it's just finished, Everton 3, Southampton 1. Absolutely delighted obviously to, to get the first win under our belt. I'm going to hand over to Millsy first to get his instant reaction. Mills. Game of two halves, my friends. Game of two halves. I was having a pipe with you at half time, thinking, where's the goals coming from? The system to me looked disjointed. I don't know whether it was a playoff from the back, whether it was wingers, whether it was one up front, two up front. We looked lost first half. But the positive is for me, look, we won 3 1. Second half, bang, goal straight away. We needed that to get straight back in the game. It set Southampton back. I think they thought, wow, it's going to be a long second half for us. And give ourselves credit. And everyone in the ground credit. The fans were magnificent for me today. I think we pulled them over the line, really do. Half-time, it was like, we really could have gone toxic, and there's a lot of fans out there, some Evertonians, neutral fans, waiting for the ground to go toxic. We never let it happen. We got behind the team, quick goal second half. Game of two hours for me. I think the system changed second half. Richarlison swapped with uh, Damari Gray, which helped. It was just great second half. It was, it, it was bossy back in there. Boss had a win. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I, like you say, Mills, we had, we had a pint at half-time, and... Um, I was worried about that second half, but I also thought that that goal in the first half in Southampton, to a certain extent, helped us because it gave Benitez and, and, and the players a chance to react to it at our time. The last thing I wanted was for that goal to come so late on and for us to not get a chance. Pricey, what did you make of it? Overall, uh, emotion was sigh of relief, if I'm being honest. It was like a relief that we got the win, because if we, uh, we, we didn't get the win, it was just built and built and built. I think we came out in the second half like I was expecting us to come out in the first half. I think the way we set up, we were 4-4-2 in the second half, which we weren't in the first, with Gray and uh, Townsend as wingers, Richarlison, Carvaloon up front. That's how I expected us to come out when the first seen the team sheet this, uh, this afternoon. We didn't come out that way in the first half. I think we looked a bit, looked okay, but a little bit disjointed in the first half. And then they scored, and then I think we, we, were, we were terrible from there on in. We were fighting to, 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 to keep in it. And then second half, we came out like I'd expect. We had the wingers. We, we knew what we were doing. Get out to the wingers, get the crosses in, make sure we do it. But I just want to say what Millsy just said there about the fans. I think 
it could have went two ways today, especially after they scored, it could have went two ways and it didn't. I think the fans were made up to be back in the ground, of course, but fully behind the team, 100% behind the team. And then it showed today, the, the, the atmosphere was really good. I was sitting in the Gladys Street today and it was, it was bouncing pretty much all of the game. It was, it was great atmosphere. I think the fans done their part, as Mills said. But as I say, overall, I don't think we played particularly well in either half, but happy we won. Sorry, I believe you can't, you can't, can't complain about the 3-1 win. No, no, I, I completely agree, Pricey, and, and and I also agree, and I, and I want to make that mention now, and, and obviously we're gonna we're gonna go into more detail on our actual podcast this week, but I want to I want to give a special mention to the fans because we were patient today, and I say we, do you know what I mean? Because we were we were past the fans, but I was worried about it getting toxic really early, but it didn't. You know, the fans were thinking, you know, let let's see what happens, and I think there was a few players in the first half, notably with Charleston, that were not involved near enough whether that was a positional thing whether it was a tactical thing whether it was the fact that he was still a little bit you know hung over if you like from the from the Olympics but he didn't do enough in the first half Calvert-Loon wasn't really involved in the first half Holgate was obviously massively a fault for the first goal and we're going to talk about that again a little bit more I think on, on the podcast but just you know first game of the season you just want to get off the mark don't you you, you know no one's completely fresh no one is is at the top of the game are they first game of the season but to get it to get three goals at Goodison is something and, I, and I, you know the listeners one might half as well, yeah half. yeah to, to, well that's that's even more of a point to get three goals and a half I don't think we've done that at all last season if we did then correct me if I'm wrong but I certainly don't remember us coming from behind last season and winning a game certainly not winning a game by two goals so and I'm not you know we're not we're not getting too carried away here it's, it's the first game it, it was a game like the two lads have said, that it was of two halves. We were very poor or very average in the first half. We've come back in the second half and, and got the job done. But, you know, I, th- I think like like Price and Mills, you've just said, just to be back in that ground was, was so good. So, you know, we, we got in early because we, we were... We were pulled in by Everton's PR, you know, get there early. We, we all sit, we, you know, we, we, you know, me and Mills sit in the, well, we all sit in the park ends and we were all sucked in by there's only one turn style. We were in the queue, we were in the queue at 10 to 2. We were in the grounds at 5 past 2, drinking the crap ale in the grounds, but absolutely loved it and, and, you know, just so grateful to be there. And, you know, I remember, you know, we were standing in the concourse before the grounds at, you know, in the park ends and the Everton songs came on and it was honestly, I, I had a, you know, I, the hairs were standing on end. I was so, yeah. I didn't realise how much I missed it. I think what we should say as well is we, we know lads who work at the club who listen to the podcast and fair play to you is the video before on the screens before kickoff was like, welcome back to Goodison Park and it was showing great goals and things and it got everyone up. It was a mix of tunes. There was like, if you know your history, spirits of the blues, here we go, all together now. Carries on that it as well. built the atmosphere so much and everyone was like quite, there's people who were emotional in there and I said to you on the podcast, I was emotional back in May going to the Wolves game and I felt a little bit again today. Going back to that ground was like, we're used to. Because I went to the grounds in May on my own, and I think you went to Chelsea yeah, home yeah. by yourself at the place you, your first time back, isn't it? To be as a group of friends going to a game is, is what it's all about. And I, I want to echo what I just said before: us fans and everyone listening to this who are Blues, we all played a massive part in today because I think we were a massive part of the character that team showed. It could have easily gone two 0 down. Do you mean you had to play to half time and said, "If it goes two 0 here, I don't know what the ground's going to be like." We had a massive part, you said there, Pricey. We had a massive part of you think. I, I, I'm not you know, patting you on the shoulder, me on the shoulder, Pricey on the shoulder too much. But I think the character of that team showed in the second half 
was massively, massively influenced by 38,000 fans on the ground. Do you know what was great as well at the at the final whistle? Sorry, Paisley, I'll let you come in a second. Is the, the, the players done a bit of a, a lap of honour? And it was a lap of honour, is probably the wrong words, but they went around and they acknowledged the fans at the full time whistle. And what I found most. Um, what I appreciate the most about it is Benitez pushed it. He pushed them back out and went, listen, go and, go and, you know, go and acknowledge the fans there because they've waited a while to see this. I thought it was a nice touch. Yeah, it was a nice touch. And, and that atmosphere we had today was like, a, um, it wasn't like a first game of the season. It was, it was, it was more special than that. It was, like, it was like the game actually meant something. Like it was a cup game, like quarter-final. Like a quarter-final, yeah. like we had to win something. Yeah. But I think Benitez, you know, we've heard Benitez is not a, a possession-type manager. The type, the type of um, tactics he, he, he deployed in the second half needs the crowd. That's you know, getting it wide, getting into the box, getting your, your, your strikers in. It needs it needs your crowd on board. You need, you need especially the Gladys Street in the second half. There we we, we sucked, uh, you know, we sucked it in as the famous saying goes, yeah. and, and and that's what we need this season, and we're gonna have to keep doing it. But no, I'm just made to be back. My underlying feelings, I'm just buzzing to be back. Three-one win, you can't moan. Happy days. I know you still. Sorry, I know you still cover this on Monday on the proper podcast. It's Judgy and Pricey this week, but if I can just roll reverse at you, Judgy, how how good was it to have Rafa get a good reaction? Because we talked about it, maybe we thought he might get a bad reaction, some booze. But if people were not, if people were unhappy, they never showed it. There was a good reaction for him, wasn't there? No, I'm still not not going to call him that online. Yeah, I'm still not going to call him that. He's still been. He says to me as Pricey, just referred him to, and I'm not, no, I completely agree though, and. Our, um, our, und- me, you know? our, und- no, our underlying feeling coming to the game today was we need the fans to be behind the team. Not about the managers today. It's not about the players. It's not about the fans. It's not about. It's about the club and it's about this occasion of everyone being back to footy. And, and the players must have been feeling that way. There's a lot of players there who weren't involved in the World Cup. Who, you know, who weren't involved in any competitions of any mean. You know, um, any meaning. And hadn't hadn't played in front of crowds for a long time. So. It was a massive, massive day for everyone. I'm just made up, like you say, Millsy, that everyone got behind the manager, the club, the players, and that was the most important thing today. And you know, we got our just reward. And I, and I think, I, I think it wasn't about the fans getting up behind the manager in particular. It was just the Everton fans saying, "We're Everton fans, no matter what. We're getting behind the team." I don't think it was pointed at anyone in particular. It was just we're getting behind the team, and that's what we're going to do. And hopefully, it continues. But obviously, you got to get the wins to do that. Yeah, it was a statement that for me, you know, from the Everton fans to say that, you know, in the main, you know, whether it's um, whether it's Rafa Benitez or or, or whether it, whether it's any manager or any player who's playing for the Blue Shirts, we'll be here to support Everton. That's what we were doing today, and really enjoyed it. Hopefully, we'll catch we'll catch it on the on the you know the podcast this week. Look forward to getting into the game a little bit more, and hopefully the Reds losing. So, cheers <laughs> from Judgy, from Millsy, from Pricey. From Neil, who's watching on as well, and the rest of the Blues, thank you and enjoy your Saturday night.